welcome to the first official episode of The Deadly Divas. Funkly Kui, are you ready? You know I'm running Michelle, okay? <laughs> but like, don't get too crazy because if you start asking me all these questions, then I'm going to have to call security, okay? <laughs> There's an actual skit called Funkly Kui. <laughs> and that's literally stuff she says. <laughs> We're not... She's like, welcome to Burger King where you can do it your way, but don't get crazy. <laughs> and then they're like, they're like, can I get a milkshake? And she goes, you want me to get the blend out? Put some ice cream in it. They got me pressing all these buttons. No, you can have a Coke. Next. Uh, then her okay. boyfriend came. He had just been released from jail. She was like, hey, someone. <laughs> and she, he was like, how would you lay something down for me, Bon Queen? And she was like, on a mic is a queen. I listen to me sing. He wanted number three super size on your ring. <laughs> Michelle's first encounter with Bond Queen Queen from Mad TV. <laughs> Must have been living under a rock. I loved Mad TV back in the day. I never watched Mrs. it. Swan. That's where the can I have your number skit comes from. Never saw that. And you have it. Nobody's ever been like, can I have your number? No. Can I have it? Ooh. <laughs> That's a French-ass name, Yvonne. <laughs> My little croissant. Okay. My little French croissant with some butter all up in it. Gonna have your number. You like Mike and Ice? I'm gonna get you some Mike and Ice. You like Mike and Ice. Welcome to the Deadly Divas. True crime stories and investigations. We're your hosts, Michelle and Brie. My name is Michelle, and I am a forensic science and criminology student. I have experience working for the federal police in Canada. I have always been interested in true crime ever since I was far too young to be interested in true crime. My grandmother, she just had Nancy Grace on every night. She had Judge Judy on every afternoon. <laughs> it was like a constant rotation. And let's not forget good old Dr. Phil. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he loved him, too. I love Dr. Phil. Honestly, though, like Dateline for me growing up. Was and like, 48 Hours Mystery. Like yep. all those shows. I mean, we would watch Forensic Files in like grade four or five. Yeah. And and my mom's like, what the heck are you watching at your grandma's house? It's why we're both so paranoid now as adults. <laughs> and why when I exit the house, I put my keys between my fingers <laughs> and I'm looking all around me at my surroundings. I feel like my parents letting me watch Dateline and also telling mm-hmm. me strangers could kidnap me at any minute. I'm ready to take down a serial killer at any moment. Like pepper spray on the keychain, <laughs> the whole nine. We as women... Ha- We are more vulnerable. Whether we like it or not, we are. In Canada, like, you can't even get access to pepper spray. You you are not allowed to have it. I feel so much safer having that with me. And it just doesn't seem fair that my friends in Canada can't have that same peace of mind. Um, It's a personal safety device. I mean, it's not like we got AK-47 in our purse. (laughs) It's just pepper spray. Michelle's packing. Yeah, and for those of you who think I'm carrying a pink pepper spray, I'm not. It's actually black, so thank you very much. <laughs> Mine was pink when I got it in high school, and I got some in my eye at cheerleading practice. 
<laughs> Can you explain to me how the pepper spray got into your eye at cheer practice? Because I'd really like to hear this story. Well, my I had just started driving. So my dad, he got me that pepper spray. So, of course, it was the first day I had it. So I was showing all my friends, right? <laughs> so we did a little... They were like, let's do a test spray oh, and geez. see how it comes out. So I did a test spray, right? Not into the air. I did it onto a surface so that it wouldn't get on anything. But then I guess my finger must have later when I twisted it back, I must have touched the front cap. And then I rubbed my eye. And it was before I went to do a stunt too, by the way. (laughs) So my eyes are watering. I have this girl lifted above my head. I can't see. And I'm like, dear God, I need to take you down before I drop you. So I caught her. Nobody panicked. But then I had to go flush my eyes out for like 15 minutes because I couldn't see. And they were all teared up. (laughs) Smooth. Yeah. Smooth, (laughs) Brie. We were actually introduced by our good friend, Maddie. We love you. Thank you for bringing us together in the Michaels spray paint aisle that day. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Was it Maddie, the one that pointed out that we both had on bedazzled flip flops? Probably. <laughs> and she's like, well, now I know you guys are going to be great friends. Right. And Maddie had to leave us, so sad, but she had to leave us Mm -hmm. to pursue her amazing career. In real estate. And uh, it was just us and our flip-flops, and we were like, hell, (laughs) let's be friends. (laughs) Let's be friends. I'm Brianna. Currently, I am a nurse at the jail. Growing up watching 2020 and Datelines about missing people, I it's something about it draws you in. I think it's the hope that they get found and that the possibility that something new is going to come up eventually. That's really what it is for me. I'm always like, oh, I can't. I hope in a year from now I see another one and they found something that led to either a person being returned or if there was a murderer and they found a body, then that person being brought to justice and getting justice for the victim. But at the jail, I think it's just furthered it because I do come in contact with people that have committed murders and horrible crimes and assaults and things of those nature. I try not to look at people's charges. I don't want it to affect how I treat people, but sometimes officers make you aware just for your safety. I'm there to be a nurse at the end of the day. I'm not there to be anything else. No judge, jury, nothing. So like sometimes I'll hear things and I'll be like, oh, that is awful. I can't believe that. That's horrible. But I'm sitting there two seconds later doing wound care or taking their blood sugar and having a normal conversation like I don't even know what they did which is totally fine and I know most people would be like I couldn't do that but I don't know I guess I'm able to draw the line and have nurse me and then my personal me who's sitting there thinking how awful that is but it's interesting to see the psychology behind it because a lot of times the people with those dangerous crimes those high profile cases if you will they seem to be the most unassuming people to me I'm always like what is this person even in here for they're so unassuming friendly like and then they're like they murdered like seven people they're a serial murderer or serial rapist I'm like that's horrifying but that is crazy to see that that's why I think a lot of the times in these cases it is difficult because sometimes they are that unassuming person that you might not suspect that blends in with the crowd that was somebody in your family that you never would have pinpointed I try and think again the U.S. justice system innocent until proven guilty a lot of people in jails have not been convicted yet so they're awaiting trial they couldn't bond out when they first got arrested so a lot of those people even though those are their charges they've not actually been convicted of those crimes yet. So I try and take that into my perspective and how I treat people. We have to do like intake screenings when people come in and 
it's rough, especially if you, one, haven't committed the crime, you've never been arrested. So a lot of these people are upset. And that's the first thing is they have to come talk to me and I have to ask them all these questions, personal questions about their health history. Some of them have not really anything to do with their health. It's like, are you homeless? Can you read and write? You know, and and people get really defensive about questions like that because they feel like you're judging them because they're already in this place where people are judging them. So I try to reword them the best I can and like group them together so it feels more like she asked this to everybody. She's not attacking me and people tend to be a little more relaxed, I find. Um, I try to keep it lighthearted somewhat. Usually I'll ask in the same sentence, are you homeless and are you a veteran? Because those are pretty different and pretty drastic. So if I follow up, are you homeless with, are you a veteran? They're like, well, those are odd and not related. So she's got to ask that to everybody. (laughs) And then on the, can you read and write? I usually change it to, I'm assuming you can read and write. And I'm assuming it's in English, unless you want to tell me about any other crazy languages, you know, usually that one gets a chuckle every now and then an interesting response. One time I did get a long pause. And at the end of the whole screening, they asked, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And they were like, What made you assume that I could read and write? (laughs) (laughs) Which I never... I never really thought to myself somebody's going to be interested in why I assumed they could read and write. And I'm like, well, you seemed articulate and well-spoken. So I just kind of assumed somebody with your vocabulary could read and write. They found that answer acceptable. And they're like, okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but I do I do try and make them feel comfortable. If I ever got arrested, I'd want you to be my intake nurse. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I'm glad you think so. Nine times out of ten, when you see a true crime documentary or hear of a story on the news, the thing that people always say is they were the all-American family. They were the perfect family. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the time, people are absolutely shocked. And that's part of the horror that comes into play. When you take this seemingly perfect family and realize all these dark secrets and then you look at your own family and your own spouse and you wonder if they didn't know, you know, if this woman didn't know, they'll tell friends, you know, if something happens to me, so-and-so did it. In those cases, yes, very tragic, but those aren't usually the cases that take the media by storm and go completely viral and have high-profile nature. The cases that do are like the ones where everybody is in complete and utter shock because as human beings, when you can imagine somebody going that dark, like you look at yourself and you you think, could this happen to me? Could this happen to my family? There have been many times I've been sitting in a restaurant and I'm like, I wonder how many killers there are in this room. So when I was in eighth grade, we were talking to one of our teachers about some sort of case that was in the news media. I'm not sure what it was, but it had come up and it was discussing about how many people like how many people come in contact with serial killers in their life and it's saying the average person comes in contact with like at least like three serial killers in their lifetime or something like that i was like isn't that horrifying it's absolutely (laughs) horrifying and so many unsolved cold cases so it's just i think those are the ones where you're like anybody could have done it they could still be out there and they could do it again and that's where that fear of is somebody sitting here with me one of these strangers guilty of something horrible as they sit there and eat their dinner a lot of these families and a lot of these victims are very relatable and i think that's why the general public is so invested in these stories and it's scary to know that 
we're all vulnerable and it can happen to any of us. When it sounds like it's out of some horror movie, you never think it's going to happen to you or your family. In our city, there are multiple unsolved murders. And I would say we're not that big of a city for there to be that many unsolved murders. I think you do have to account in for some of that. We have a decent bit of bit of gang violence going on. Some of that is that because a lot of people, when there is gang violence and shootings involved, nobody wants to talk because it's usually gang on gang violence. So they're not going to say what happened to them because they're most likely going to retaliate and take it into their own hands instead of going to the police about it. So I think some of that is related to that, but definitely nowhere near all of it, if not even half of it. So Mm -hmm. true crime has become such a huge phenomenon, especially recently. I mean, Netflix is full of true crime documentaries, network television, and now there's a whole new community of podcasters and YouTubers. And, you know, I think it is good that people are spreading awareness about some of these cases that are unsolved that do eventually get solved because of the exposure on a lot of these media platforms. However, there are people that exploit the victims and remove the seriousness from it and kind of look at these people like characters or objects because they've just been talked about for so long. And the story that we're going to cover today is the JonBenet Ramsey case. Because this case is 25 years old, it's a household name. I think it's controversial too, which is part of the reason that sometimes it may come across people are being cold to the family members. I think because a lot of the controversy circles them. And a lot of people, I think, in cases like this where the family is suspected, unfortunately, like sometimes feelings get taken out and they don't think of them as people who lost their child because if guilt is thrown upon them and then the public sees them them as kind of these guilty people and something horrific happened to this little girl. I think that's where people go wrong a lot of times. And you can think somebody is guilty, but again, innocent until proven guilty. So even though we also have our own theories and suspects that we feel more strongly about, I think it's important to remember even when we're doing these podcasts and we put our opinions and theories behind it due to what we've seen and the research we've done that nobody really knows. That's why these cases are unsolved at the end of the day. And if any of us are wrong or the police are wrong, it's a lot to put on somebody and blame somebody for. So I think that's especially with this case has been a big problem because the family was so targeted as like suspects. Yeah. And whether the family is guilty or not, there was still a beautiful little girl whose life was lost. And this case is not closed. People can speculate and people, you know, have their opinions just like we have our opinions and we talk about different theories, but nobody has the full story. Nobody does. And even if we think we've done our research extensively, nobody has the entire discovery. I think looking at it from just different perspectives and having different people look at the evidence that's been put out in the public. Obviously, we don't have access to police records and stuff like that. But looking at what's been put out into the public and having different views on it can sometimes lead to tips that you never know could end up helping solve a case years later. So I feel like that's the importance of all these true crime podcasts that are out today. I think they spread awareness. They keep them out there so that they don't die and that something could eventually come up years later. And even if it is years later, I'm sure the family appreciates it because it's better to hear something 20 years later than never at all. A six-year-old was discovered in the family's basement by her father. The parents are suspected in the crime. Everyone knew by then that the police were very focused on the family. 
One of the theories was JonBenet was a bedwetter. She wet the bed that night. Patsy became enraged and slammed her head against something. Questions about the Ramses mounted every day. This investigation, I really believe, has been going the wrong way all these months. There is evidence of an intruder. I say this over and over again. Nobody wants to listen. My heart goes out to the Ramses, but I don't believe they did this. Child beauty pageants were really frowned upon. The Ramses had no criminal record. The child beauty pageant became the criminal record they did not have. The truth is being hidden and warped. It's time to stir the pot. There was a plan to kidnap John Bonet that night, and that something went wrong with that plan. Merry Christmas and the happiest of New Year's. The killer's out there. I know that we can catch him. John Bonet Ramsey was only six years old when she died. She was found dead on Christmas Day, mm -hmm. 1996, in the basement of her family home. Right. Now, this story is incredibly odd. Like, the whole entire story is odd. Right. And this case was, like, widely publicized in the media and has been for the last 25 years. The family was affluent and, like, pretty well-known within the community. And it was kind of such a crazy story. They wouldn't expect things like that to happen there at the time. Especially in Boulder. And because not it to was, that family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also um, still unsolved, which causes a lot of speculation and 25 years later not knowing you know who's responsible um it still piques everyone's interest mm. there are multiple theories on what happened to her a lot of people were thinking somebody in the home must have been responsible just because it was so suspicious and the only other people in the home were the mother the father and the nine-year-old brother when the murder occurred, supposedly. Right, right. And we don't know if there was someone else hiding in the house. Mm -hmm. But as far as the family goes, when they're looking at members of the family, it, it was, was just the brother, the, the parents. Yes. She was a child beauty queen. Which also caused a lot of drama at the time. Because in that time frame in the 90s, that was more taboo. And it was considered, like, sexualizing children. Which I think people still sometimes today, like, when they're that young and dressing them up, people think that... But I do think it's become more normal because you have little shows like Honey Boo Boo and how she got her success. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that became more popular. I I think it's a little hard sometimes because her mom was a pageant person. So I don't think her mom ever looked at it in that way, if you will, because she herself did pageants and won titles and went on. I think she went on to, like, Miss America or Miss Universe, one of those, and represented. So I'm like... I don't think she looked at pageants that way, so I think sometimes for her, she couldn't see it. But as an outsider's perspective, it's, you know. You don't need to be with a child to go in there. You can easily go and sit in the back and pretend you're someone's uncle. I was just going to say, you could pretend you're somebody's dad or yeah. uncle and um, sneak on in. My theory was always that Burke, her brother accidentally did it and then her parents covered it up um now i'm starting to waver on that opinion a little bit more towards the intruder theory mm. however like we were just talking about the thousands of dollars those parents spent on her and all of the i mean she was the baby of the family yeah. all of the you know attention they gave her i feel like burke might have been angry 
and felt left out and felt like he was not getting the same amount of attention as she was. I think he was jealous. Um, They did say that one year he had smeared his feces all over her Christmas presents, and I can't say that without (laughs) laughing. And I I don't mean to laugh, but it's literally so insane to me. I mean, this kid was Um, not... He... Come on. Yes, but... So... (laughs) We should probably tell you all the manner in which her body was found and how they think she died. So the doctors that they had, like, study the case and look at the evidence, so two of them specifically agreed that the way she died was blunt force trauma to the head. So she also was choked, but they think that came after the blunt force trauma and that she was, like, pretty much already dead. And that the choking is not what killed her. Mm-hmm. So the blunt force trauma is what makes you think, oh, her brother could have easily grabbed something when he got angry, not even purposely meaning to, and like hit her on the head. Because, you know, siblings fight and they don't necessarily intentionally mean to hurt each other, but accidents happen because kids don't realize their own strength sometimes. Right. But then all the other stuff surrounding it is what makes me think, even if it was the brother, one, I don't think he would then sexually assault her. No. Choke her, make a little garrote. They found... There was also foreign DNA in her... In her I know you hate that word. Underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate the word panties. I'm sorry. I almost said it. The fact that she had undigested pineapple in her stomach when they did the autopsy shows that she died very soon after eating that pineapple. Yet the parents said they got home from a Christmas party at a friend's house with the kids. JonBenet had fallen asleep in the car and they brought her inside, put her to bed. She didn't eat anything And that was the last that they saw of her. They tucked her in. End of story. But the investigators found when they got to the house the next day, a bowl of pineapple sitting in milk, which is super odd to me. That was like Burke's favorite snack was pineapple and milk. I I don't quite understand it. But uh, anyway. Pineapple and milk? Yes. So the parents adamantly deny she had pineapple or that it was possible that she had pineapple. What I'm thinking is they got home from the party. He's eating his pineapple. She's running around. She's all excited. Santa's coming. She goes, takes one of his pineapple out of his bowl and he just loses it and wasn't able to control his anger in that moment and took the nearest thing to him, which there was a... A mag light, which if anybody knows is basically... The flashlights that you see the police carrying, those big, heavy, long metal flashlights that could be used as a weapon and not just a flashlight. Right. That was on the kitchen counter, which was right beside the table that the pineapple was found on. Um, This mag light had zero DNA on it. Like, no fingerprints, nothing. It was, like, wiped clean. If it had been in a cabinet or tucked away somewhere that hadn't That's been touched in years, yeah. then I can understand why there's we no did DNA on that. it. However, not even, like, back behind the spices. It was in the middle of the kitchen counter. Like, it had just been used. I'm like, there's no way anybody had not touched that to where there wasn't a partial fingerprint Mm -hmm. or touch DNA or something on it. And it's in their home. There has to be, like... It's weird that there's nothing on it. Right. So, to me, that means that it was wiped clean before any of the police got there. So... That flashlight, I believe, he grabbed and whacked her in the head. He didn't intend to kill her, of course, but I think that that knocked her unconscious and they panicked. 
and I think they said, okay, we've lost our daughter. She's dead. I'm not even sure that she was truly dead at that point, but when they did the autopsy, I mean, her skull was literally cracked. She was probably brain dead at that point. There was charges brought against them, they but they were, were dropped. They were actually indicted by the grand yes. jury. The prosecutor's the one that decided to not follow through with pressing the charges and dropped the charges. Right. Yeah. So, Which I mean, <laughs> that is very odd after a grand jury's indicted Correct. them. Very That's odd. That's very uncommon. Some people think the mother did it out of anger. Oh, no. I don't think that, I don't believe that for a minute. I truly think it was either a cover-up or some random intruder and they had no idea. But explain to me the flashlight. Explain to me the pineapple. Well, if the flashlight is sitting on the counter in the middle of the kitchen and you as the murderer put it back exactly where you got it from, you're just going to wipe it off first. Like, that's what you would do if you're going to leave it behind. If you take it with you and it wasn't yours then now you have evidence on you. If you wipe it down and leave it exactly where you got it from, trying to make it look like it was the family by leaving her in the house, what if he gave her the pineapple? What if it was somebody she knew? Because in these cases, it really is rare for it to be a complete and total stranger. So I'm not saying it has to be a complete and total stranger. Because the other thing is, part of another like weird thing that happened in this story is there was this ransom note written. The ransom note, one, there was practice notes written. It was like on Patsy's three notepad. pages long. Yes. It wasn't a note. It was a f***ing letter. It was a <laughs> three-page letter. <laughs> but the details in it were so strange because he had just gotten a bonus for his job that was like $118,000. And the ransom amount was $118,000. Yeah. So the only people who would know that and write that weird of an amount, like a normal person would just write $100,000, $200,000. Or a million dollars. I mean, they were loaded. had money. So for you to write that specific amount makes me think you had to have known them in some way, shape, or form. Which I think is why a lot of the police looked at them so intently and was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's got to be them because who knows this. But... Anybody who's close with them, anybody whose family probably would have known that. Yeah. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, we don't have money. Everybody knows they have money. So why would they lie about, oh, $118,000, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree with that. The 911 call. Super, super weird. I listened to that in the playback and the amplification. I... Okay, to me, it's the same as those ghost TV shows where they're like, oh, this paranormal ghost just said this to us and we amplified it. You can pretend that it says whatever you want to pretend that it says. You can't really tell what it says at the end of the day. Guess what? (laughs) Sounds like... You can't actually make words out of it. Okay, I'm not... Okay, I'm not... Just because the syllables line up. I could say a whole bunch of phrases that have the same amount of syllables. It's not about what was said at the end of that tape or the speculation on what was said it's the panic is immediately gone after she thinks she's hung up the phone if it was me as a mother i would have been first of all i don't think i would have hung up the phone on the 911 operator unless they disconnected with me and second of all it is weird that she hung up the phone on uh-huh, the 911 i would just be freaking out the other thing that strikes me as odd is that in the ransom letter one of the first things that it said was do not call the police or your daughter will be beheaded if my baby has been missing for 20 minutes and I get this letter and it says, don't call the police. I'm not calling the police. Was there contact information? It said, I will call before 10 a.m. Police! What's going on? Oh, 
Right side's up 10th Street. What's going on there, ma'am? We have a kidnapping. Hurry, please. Explain to me what's going on, okay? There, we have a... There's a note left and our daughter's gone. A note was left and your daughter is yes. gone? How old is your daughter? Six years old. She's blonde. Six years old. How long ago was it? I don't know. I just found the note. And my daughter's gone. Does it say who took her? What? Does it say who took her? I don't know. It's, there's, a, there's a ransom note here. It's a ransom note? It says FBTC. Victory. Okay, what's your name? Are you Kathy Ramsey? I'm the mother. Oh my God! Please. I'm okay. I'm sending an officer over. Okay. Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please, we just got out and she's right here. Oh my God! Please. Okay. Please, well, somebody. I am, honey. Please. Take a deep breath. Please. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Patsy. 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 The police came and marked patrol cars and parked them outside the home, knowing that the kidnapper could, had said no police. Had said no police. Here's the other weird thing: 10 a.m. comes and goes, and the Ramses don't mention it. Here's all these investigators sitting in their living room waiting for this phone call at 10 o'clock. I mean, my eyes would be fixated on that clock, watching every second go by, waiting for this kidnapper to call that has my daughter. They have no reaction to it. Like, don't even think about it. They're not waiting by the phone. They're talking with their friends. And the investigators immediately kind of look at each other and go, what the hell? This is weird. It's like they knew that she was dead. But like, I guess I just keep going back to like the sexual assault. I cannot get past that. I'm like, if they really were covering for the son and did that to her, even if she was dead, that's horrific. Going back to the intruder theory, if you look at the photos of the home, mm. all the Christmas decorations, there was snow all over the ground. Well, in the backyard, there was no snow. And so they didn't have any footprints. However, there was some dirt and leaves at the basement window that looked like they had been disturbed. The window was found open. Mm-hmm. And underneath the window was a suitcase that looked like it was used to get back out of the window. They also found a strange mark that looked like a skid mark, like from someone's shoe or someone's body going down that wall. Right. How easy is it to then get in the house that way, especially if you know the layup of the house, if you know her and you can lure her into the basement, it's Christmas day. You could have convinced a six-year-old to like go with you and said it was something for Santa or you saw something cool. And if you know the child and the child knows you, you could, they could have given her the pineapple. So the family could have had absolutely no idea this person could have given her the pineapple. You mean the pineapple that was already sitting down? But that was what's his faces. <laughs> there is foreign male DNA multiple places, including on her person and under her fingernails, and it's not any of theirs. So where did that come from and who is it? Here's a theory. She didn't have a bath when she came home from the Christmas party. There were children. There were other adults. She could have easily been playing with the kids and gotten the DNA under her fingernails that way. It's not going to come under your fingernails that easily. No, I know, but you know when kids play... Like, I have your DNA under my fingernails right now. Because you just scratched me. Right. Do you think kids don't scratch each other when they're playing? Not all the time. Not like that. And yes, she could have. But, again, this is part of the whole, the police messed this up. Because that's doubt in the case. You cannot convict people 
on hearsay and what you think happened. I would. <laughs> God, I hope you're never on a jury if I get indicted. <laughs> Anybody's screwed. They're like, we think they did it because X, Y, and Z, and they just look guilty. And Michelle's like, yep, mm-hmm, guilty as sin. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm obviously kidding. I just, sometimes I wonder, like, okay, if he had come, think about this for a minute. He's, the man's obviously got boots on, right? Of some kind, or heavy shoes. <laughs> <laughs> why does, <laughs> why does the murderer have to have boots on? He Is that a murder shoe? Like, <laughs> no. I gotta put my murder boots on today. Like, what? It was the middle of winter in Boulder, Colorado. There was snow all over the ground. He comes in the back door. There's dirt everywhere. Are you telling me that he walked up? Okay, this is an enormous house. Are you telling me he walked all the way upstairs, got her brother He took his shoes off. If he's he's thinking DNA, he took his shoes off at the door. Do I take my shoes off when I come in your door? Yeah, because I've trained you. It's not an American thing, apparently. I've learned. I In Canada, you take your shoes off at the door. I took my shoes off at the door, but I said that's because that's how my grandparents were. My nanny was always like, go put your shoes in the hall. Right. But, like, no one ever takes their shoes off. You're, yeah. Maddie didn't. Maddie, Maddie puts her shoes on my coffee table. <laughs> she, she doesn't give a shit. She's like, I'm so comfortable here. And I love that she's comfortable here. Well, but... maybe he's Canadian. We need to look for a Canadian suspect. He removed his shoes at the door. <laughs> he didn't come in the door. He came in the creepy-ass window in the basement. You're right. And you're telling me that there wasn't a little pool of water or dirt where his shoes were or footprints. He didn't go around with a Swiffer wet jet and wash the basement floor after wiping down all the kitchen items like no it's an odd i will give it it is a crazy odd case like it is there's a lot of questions and for good reason but again part of the issue was how the police handled the case from off the bat oh it's just like the maddie mccann case yes they didn't lock it down they allowed people to come in they literally allowed them to invite all their friends and family the friends and family were there before the freaking police were there i'm not inviting the whole goddamn neighborhood over and i'm also not allowing them to start cleaning my kitchen wiping surfaces down i mean that's not a priority the priority i would also tell them not to touch anything exactly or don't even come in my house yet listen so when things line up like how we're saying with the pineapple and the little boy and he could have just easily hit her on the head with a flashlight that is it is all very suspicious but i'm also such a like physical evidence kind of person that it really bothers me that these police didn't lock this thing down take more samples like do all of the it's physical investigation, I, I forensic think, science stuff that they should have done. I think they knew it was the parents right off the bat. I don't think they did. I think they were so scared. One one guy even said, one of the investigators said that they had to be careful and they were told to treat the parents with kid gloves and not like they normally would because this family had influence and money. So I think they were all a little scared that if it wasn't the parents... And they did everything they would normally do, they could have consequences for their job. Which, again, if my kid goes missing, I don't care what you say to me as long as you find you did it. So, yeah, I don't care how much money I have or if you accuse me. Like, I'll sit in a room and talk to you for 10 hours and you can 
question me, question me, question me, but... They lawyered up immediately, and before speaking with the police... Which is also weird. They they went to the media, and they did an interview with the media. So, I think um, that's that's backwards to me. And back to the fingernail um, DNA, listen to this, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, the DNA... Male DNA was found under JonBenet's right-hand fingernail. That is one nail out of ten. Okay? It wasn't all of her fingernails. Also. (laughs) Lou Smith, which is one of the police investigators on the case, by the way. He really believed that in the intruder theory until the day he died. And now his daughter and grandkids are, like, taking over that, um, yeah, investigation. They're really trying to... Bring this case to justice and find who killed John Bonet. So I watched like the Discovery series, like I told you, and then I also watched some of the ones on um Amazon. So if anybody's looking to watch some of the docu series that we looked into, those are a couple of places. For me, seeing some of the stuff that he had found that was kind of ignored in the case was bothersome. Because he was looking at a lot of the physical evidence, which is the kind of evidence I like to look at in these cases. And it seemed like everybody was ignoring it because it was so circumstantial and people's behavior was odd. You don't know how people are going to react and you can't just base it on behavior alone and circumstances. If the physical evidence doesn't line up with it, then you need to be open and look at other routes. Like you can't just close yourself off and be like, it was the parents. Right. But then there's only so much physical evidence in a certain case. And when all of the circumstantial evidence points to one person or one theory, you have to consider it. I'm not saying not consider it, but they weren't looking at other people. Right. As far as I know, it doesn't seem like they asked everybody in the house for DNA to cross compare it to what they found under her fingernails or in her underwear. Do you think if it was an intruder, it was one of the people that came over that day? To make I 100% sure believe it was because people like that and all the cases over time think about all the missing kids cases where the kids end up getting found and they find the person who did it or the kid that was murdered they find the person that did it usually they're somewhat involved in the investigation right and then at that point if they did come into the home then there would be an excuse for their dna to be found in the home correct there was male dna um recovered from jambonet's underwear and a lot of people thought that was critical evidence mm-hmm. because they're like hey it doesn't match anyone in the in the home. An unnamed investigator basically said that it could have been left at the time of the clothing's manufacturer. So basically to explore that theory, they did um, an experiment and they grabbed unopened control samples of identical underwear manufactured at the exact same plant, tested them, and found human DNA in some of those new unused panties. We're also assuming that she opened them up, never washed them, put her, them on her body for that one first time, and never washed them again. It's so hard for me to believe she picked up a pack of underwear at Walmart and didn't wash them before putting them yeah, on her child. I, I also agree with that. That's why I'm like, I don't think that that's what happened. I right. don't think that that's what that is. Yeah, it's it's such a hard case because, like... Every theory makes a little bit of sense. Enough to the point where it's hard to make... A conclusion. Right. Part of the reason being how the investigation was handled right off the bat. Which seems to be a trend with these missing kid cases that have 
a good amount of evidence, but it doesn't exactly point to one direction. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's been 25 years, intruder has not been found, leads me to believe that it was someone in the family, specifically the brother. <laughs> that okay, I know you like hey, the brother. Hey, listen, thing. they did an experiment. They brought in like a nine-year-old Ugh. kid. They they used a pig skull and they had him like whack the skull. I don't know what the kid thought he was doing. that's not traumatizing to a child. Put a little blonde wig <laughs> on a skull and now I need you to bash it in. Hope this terrible. doesn't scar you for life. No, it was it was like, it was so terrible. Yeah, that little boy in this picture looks like he's traumatized. He's like, I'm never gonna not think about this in my nightmares. It was a CBS documentary, but it was like done for for the purposes. Of, it was for forensic experiment to see if the skull could break the same way. Right. So with they that wanted type of blunt object, uh, like a nine year old at the same height weight to see if they could physically actually right. break the skull with a flashlight. And they compared the autopsy photo of John Bonet's skull. To this pig skull, they were literally identical. Almost exact. I am like 99.9% sure that blunt object that hit her in the head was, was that flashlight. flashlight. Werner Spitz, yes. the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. And because he was describing what the fracture looked like, that the skulls were fair, like more yeah. similar like and close as a, to a human that you could get, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he said that if a kid swings with a flashlight, especially one like a mag light, which is the one they suspect that was used, all they had to do was swing and that it could cause enough force even for a kid. Because they said in the beginning, they were like, there's no way... A kid could have caused that kind of damage. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's not true. Yeah. And so that's why it. they set up this experiment to prove it, which right. is totally valid. I mean, it's just she's uncomfortable si- to watch a small kid right. do it. A six-year-old skull is, is more fragile than an adult skull. And it's also, I mean, that flashlight must have weighed like 10 pounds. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And so my grandfather gave me one when I got my first car. Did he say this is a weapon? Yes, he did. <laughs> that was the purpose. He goes, so I'm, he, get, he gave all of his grandchildren <laughs> these when we got our first car. And he said, not only can you use it at night if you get broken down on the side of the road because it's a good heavy-duty flashlight. He goes, but if somebody tries to approach you because it's dark. You can also murder them. <laughs> he goes, you can defend yourself because it's so heavy that you just need to swing it a little and it'll cause serious damage. Right. And he's not wrong. That's how heavy these flashlights are. Yeah. I remember my dad used to have one um, and it was always on the kitchen counter and it would be like our emergency flashlight if the lights went out. Yeah. And I remember like thinking how impractical it was. (laughs) When my pop-up gave it to me, I literally, it made me feel safer because I was like, this actually is a very good, plausible weapon if I need to defend myself totally. as a young girl if my car breaks down at night on the side of the road. <laughs> right. I'd rather have a knife, personally. But you have to get close for a knife. All I have to do is start swinging. <laughs> what about a baseball bat? I can't keep a baseball bat in my glove, my like little glove box. Put it in your trunk. Yeah, but then I have to make it to the trunk and unlock the trunk and get the baseball bat out before the person murders me or, like, grabs me. Do you, to this day, have that flashlight? I have that mag light in the glove box of my (laughs) car. (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want one now. I'll get you one for your birthday. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I love that... 
I'm living in the United States of America, and we are allowed <laughs> to just have weapons on us. Like... <laughs> From pepper spray to tasers. I mean, I could go to Walmart right now and buy a stun gun. Like, no question, no questions you asked. Could, you could have a bedazzled one, too, with I that. I sure could. I should. Well, you know what's funny? You can order, like, pink tasers on Amazon. Like, yeah. it's hilarious to me. And uh, I remember when I first got here, I got um, pepper spray. I got it at Walmart. I got some groceries and... You know, I see the ammo section, and I'm like, there's literally guns and M&Ms in this store. That is weird. (laughs) That is weird. Just another day. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, I saw this man walking into Lowe's, like, back when I first moved here, and he had a gun on his hip, and I purposefully waited for him to, like, go into the store before, and, like, waited a few minutes for him to, Were you worried? I, would, I just didn't want to be seen walking near him or beside him. <laughs> just in case anyone thought I was with him. <laughs> Something went down. Right, because like... he looked like he was unhinged. <laughs> and I feel like someone who's unhinged shouldn't have a, shouldn't have a gun on their hip. Probably not. Um, Technically, if we know they're unhinged and they can't pass, like, certain gun checks, they're not supposed to have a gun on their hip. But... I don't think this guy really gave a whole lot <laughs> about that but i do think there's something to be said for like personal protection i'm not saying that everyone should have a gun on their hip in canada but i do believe that we should at least be allowed to carry pepper spray especially women who work alone or you know and it's illegal Mm -hmm. it's illegal there and i just don't understand why because sexual assaults and rapes and attacks happen in canada too yeah once i was walking to my car in a walmart parking lot and a huge man approached me which first off <laughs> men if you're over six feet tall don't approach a five three girl at midnight in a walmart parking lot it's inappropriate don't do it what if he was like asking for directions i don't care what he was doing go you go in the store and you ask for directions you don't follow the young girl by herself in the parking no, lot. no i know right? okay so what did he say to you he's like Hey, uh, excuse me, miss. Excuse me, miss. I was like, uh, you need to take two steps back. I said this to him. I held my hand out. I said, I will pepper spray you (laughs) if you get any closer. (laughs) Because you know what, y'all? You need to be aware at all times, okay? It's true. I don't text while you're walking out of a store to your car. Don't do that. Well, you cannot feel... Don't feel guilty for being mean when it comes to your safety, okay? People need to understand this. It's one thing if it's daytime and you stop me at the front of the store where people can see us. When I'm all the way in the middle of the parking lot in between cars and you try to approach me at that point at night and it's dark, no. No, okay, not so- okay. So I told him, and he was like, I'm just trying to ask you. I said, I'm, I don't care what you're trying to ask. I will pepper spray you if you come any closer. <laughs> I, and I said to him, I said, you do not pr- approach a young woman by herself at night in a parking lot. You go inside if you have a question, or you stop a man at the front of the store. You don't approach a woman at night in a parking lot. And he sure did walk away. And if he didn't, he would have gotten pepper sprayed. So he learned a lesson <laughs> that day. <laughs> Do not. You cannot apologize when it comes to your safety, okay? Was your pepper spray pink? The case was pink. (laughs) 
Oh my god. You know what? Good good for you, Brianna. I will never apologize. No, you should not. I in general I'm a nice person. In general. And if, and if he had approached me at the front of the store where all the lights were and there was other people around, I would have totally talked to him. Right. But the man he he was probably like six five. And he was in like a gray hoodie. Like I can remember what he was wearing because I was like terrified. You were like white making guy, all the mental notes. White for guy, the police. glasses, gray hoodie. <laughs> uh he had black pants on. How sketchy is that? Dark clothing. <laughs> I'm a paranoid person. So I get in my car as quickly as possible <laughs> when it's dark outside. <laughs> you lock your doors immediately. I, immediately. Even though my car locks when I start to drive, I don't care. I don't wait for that if it's dark outside. When it's light outside, I'll wait. But if it's dark and I'm by myself, I immediately hit the lock button when I get in my car. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been sitting in a parking lot and like someone starts to walk toward you and like you press the lock button but they hear it? Oh, 100%. So it's, so it's, and again, I don't care. <laughs> Personal safety. I just... Can't. I can't help you if I'm dead, so... <laughs> so... Yeah, It totally was sketchy. Sketch, totally. I was like, do not approach me. <laughs> do not approach me. You know what? That's got to be a t-shirt. You know, if you see something tied to your windshield when you get out of a store or you're walking back to your car, don't try and take it off. Like, some people have zip-tied windshield wipers together or, like, tied ribbon on windshield wipers and then while the girls are trying to untie them on their windshield, someone comes up behind them and like, attacks them. So they say, if that happens, get in your car, drive to, like, another location or drive to, like, a safe space or even a police station and then take care of it there. Because someone did that so that you would be concentrating on something with your back turned. When I was old enough for my mom to leave us in the car with the car keys. Oh, I hated, I hated when my parents did that. I didn't because I never wanted to go in the stores, but she would leave the keys in so we had the AC and everything. And I, again, being the most paranoid child in America (laughs) would be like, because I feel like my parents had ingrained into me, like you were easily kidnappable. So (laughs) be mindful at all times. Right. And so like always just like looking out all the windows like is somebody trying to get in the car who's coming out of the store that person looks sketchy why are they walking near my car yeah oh they're just getting into the car next to us they're okay like but I was always like on high alert (laughs) I used to feel completely terrified I mean even if my parents ran into a store for like five or ten minutes I the entire time I would be I would feel this just like extreme anxiety the pit in my stomach thinking like I'm going to be kidnapped this is you know hurry up and get back in this car and isn't that horrible that as kids we think that it's terrible but it's like so possible and you hear about it my brother was the chillest person ever and he was like always I mean he was three years younger than me but he would be sitting in his car seat and I was supposed to be like the The lookout (laughs) the older like just more mature less scared sibling and I would be in full panic mode and then it would panic my brother and he I remember like in Mexico and we were gonna go parasailing and my brother and I were like getting hooked in and my brother looks over at me he was like seven <laughs> he must have been like seven years old or eight years old at the time and he goes just don't just don't cry okay don't ruin it <laughs> <laughs> just don't ruin it because he knew everything yeah basically he's like oh god she's gonna like flip her <laughs> shit. 
I mean, he vibed off of me. Yeah. Of course. So, but I was not, I was like, we are literally going to be (laughs) on Nancy Grace next week. Yeah. (laughs) So, get ready. I can hear Nancy now. I don't care who they think they are. Yeah. (laughs) The parents are guilty. She did it. <laughs> like like she investigated the case. Yeah. Kind of like how we do. But you know what? <laughs> I'm here. I Nancy Grace is my idol. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I love that woman. Oh, good old Nancy. No, I truly love her. She's a good woman. Yeah. Um and her show is entertaining. Her show hell. is entertaining. She's very believable. She can persuade. Well, she's a lawyer. Well, that's what, but I'm like, she, it's not just for being a lawyer because think about it. When we watch trial cases, like they're not all that believable, but she is very like, she's persuasive. That lady. She's very persuasive. Yeah. She could convince you of pretty much anything. She can make you think you murdered somebody, you know? Oh yeah. You're like, no, I swear I didn't. She's like. <laughs> You did it. I saw you. I saw you with my own Nancy Grace eyes. <laughs> and they never lie. <laughs> and they're always smoky. <laughs> she says always have a smoky eye. I always have a smoky eye. <laughs> I guess I never noticed. I don't think you always have a smoky eye. I always do a no, smoky No, yesterday eye. or like the other if day, do, you I'm... had on like a natural with like brown tones and it was really pretty. Thank you. But it was not smoky. See, I always do a smoky It's some form of a smoky eye. I think this guy's cute. Be honest. Does he have any other pictures? Because yeah. this one's not like bad. Like he's cute, but I need to see other pictures. I don't like the other pictures. Why? I don't know. You know what it is? What? He's somebody that should not have a chin strap. He has an ugly chin strap, and I hate chin straps. Should I tell him to shave if it off? If he shaved his face, he would be a lot cuter. <laughs> no, I'm dead ass. Like, you know when somebody doesn't have, like, they have a nice face, but, like, right. he has that ugly chin strap, and that's what it is. Hmm. He lives in New York? No, he's from New York. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Because his face is cute. <laughs> look, see? See what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's the chin strap. I hate chin straps. It's not even a real beard. <laughs> you can't grow a beard. You have a chin strap. <laughs> I hate them. Okay, so should I say, hey. Chin straps are for murderers and drug addicts, okay? I mean, it's not. It's pretty bad. I mean, that. It yeah. is specifically cut. Look at it. Like, the side angle is where I could really see that it was a fucking chin strap. But that's like a 90 degree angle. So that's not even <laughs> It's right. actually an obtuse angle. Fuck off. <laughs> 90? Obtuse. 90? Obtuse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Are you just sweating? I'm drying my sweaty hands off. <laughs> Do you want to take a break? The closet has no AC vent. It's about 95 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like 95 degrees in here. In the beginning, we were so on track <laughs> talking about it. Wait, is it possible to get, like, heat poisoning and then you start going crazy? Because, like, I feel like... Do <laughs> you want to hear a funny, funny fact? When mm-hmm. I was, like, in high school, I wanted to be a bounty hunter so bad. You told me that. And, like, there's... 
there's no bounty hunters in Canada. It's like not a thing. And so I like You can open up shop right next to the jail. I will. I downloaded um this taser app on my phone and basically what it does is like it looks like a taser when you open it and you can like go up to people and like press the button and it vibrates. So like I would all day long I would be like to all my friends and like I thought I was like a badass <laughs> and this I wasn't when you really you were just that annoying girl that went around and poked people with her phone going Bzzz. and you know what the saddest part about it is I wasn't like 12 or 13 I was like literally 17 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the first thing I did when I got here was like bought a pair of binoculars and like a backpack because I thought I was gonna be investigator <laughs> of some kind. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Why the binoculars? Like, <laughs> what investigator is like the first thing I need is my handy dandy binoculars. Binoculars come in handy because if you're like in your car and you're like watching a house and you need to see in the window and you're like a mile away. <laughs> It's easy. Okay, you perv. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done that. I'm just saying if you had to, if you were investigating somebody. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds a little defensive. If you I've never done that. I've never done that. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) No, I I initially got them for bird watching. That's what I really got them for. Don't backtrack now. <laughs> you got them for your investigatory services. <laughs> it's already hot again. <laughs> and we shall open the door. It's it's almost like, you know when you like put your head under the covers? Yeah, that is what it is. <laughs> you, you lift your head up and you're like, I'm so grateful for oxygen. <laughs> Yeah. That's what this is like. I know exactly what you're talking about. We're really sacrificing our uh, our well-being for you for this podcast. I hope the quality is A-okay for you and your eardrums. I hope it's a pleasurable experience. So basically... <laughs> I'm trying to cool my hands off. Sorry. Sorry. That's how you do it. I can't say it like you. I love how you say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's it? It's I'm can- sorry. It's Canadian. I know. That's why I like it. Okay, back to John Bonet. Yeah, that was a tangent. Oh. I was waiting for our first tangent to come. We've had like six. <laughs> <laughs> there have been so many documentaries about this case. There was a weird ass Netflix movie called Casting John Bonet, which was extremely bizarre. I would not recommend. <laughs> I. I have no words for that. It was not... It was so odd. Like, strange. The trailer doesn't even explain what it is. I only watched the first 30 (laughs) minutes of it and cut it off. The movie is actually based on these people coming in to be actors in this movie that doesn't exist. That they don't know doesn't exist, but they're saying, we're doing a John Benet Ramsey movie. We want all of the people that are here to audition for Patsy you know, to do this interview, all the people that are here to inter- or to audition for John Bonet, we're going to interview all of you guys. But they're thinking there's an actual movie at the end of this, but that movie was them being interviewed. And it's creepy. You see, like, six little girls that look just like John Bonet running around in their little dresses, and they start asking people their opinions on what they thought happened. And it was like, 
it was just very bizarre to me. It was also weird because I hate people being like, oh, I always knew something was wrong with Patsy when, yeah. when I saw her wearing... And there, one lady was like, Patsy, I just wore pearls today because Patsy wore pearls in this one interview she gave. And I just felt like that said it all and that described who she was. And I was like... It was a all, pearl necklace. I mean, like yeah. what? They were also like <laughs> glamorizing the tragedy. They were. It was weird <laughs> to like audition, and they really were. They were like, "Wow, I watched her put her hair like this one day, so I wore my hair like this, so that's why I feel like I should get this part." And it was incredibly strange. I think if they're investigating it and they're actually trying to be like. What is a plausible thing that happened? This is the evidence we have. That's fine. But the, the casting John Bonet one, I was like, Ugh, this is uncomfortable. I mean, that was made for entertainment and shock value. It was not entertaining, but it was <laughs> shocking. That's for dang sure. My name's Hannah, and I'm auditioning for the role of John Bonet Ramsey. Do you know who killed John Bonet Ramsey? I'm auditioning for the role of John Ramsey. I'm auditioning for the role of Patsy Ramsey. Okay, people, here we go. Patsy Ramsey was a beauty pageant queen herself. John Ramsey was a very successful man. There have been many stories about who killed John Bonet. There was so much speculation. He was in John Bonet's bedroom. It was a three-page ransom note. It still haunts me. There was a Santa Claus that was at the party. Oh, oh, oh. This is why I have a background check every year. In cases like that, it's always somebody you know. Good girl. The mother had to do it. Why would she have no motive? And then her husband. I think he's the innocent one. Actually, the son. There's no way a nine-year-old could pull off a murder like this. If you tell someone a secret, it's no longer a secret. Whatever theory you believe that whoever did murder her staged the way she was found. They could have truly wanted to kidnap her and leave the house and get the money from from the ransom note. Because why write the ransom note if you're just going to kill her in the basement? Right. I think that something might have gone wrong. They might have accidentally killed her mm -hmm. and not been able to take her with them and then just panicked and set up something else. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I was in someone's home stealing their daughter, I would want to get out of there as fast as I could. Same. Like, I don't know why you would just chill in the basement and assault her. Like, just take her. If you're going to assault her, do it elsewhere. Right. No, that's true. Um, That's a lot of time spent in the house that you could possibly be caught. Yeah. It's definitely a strange case, Um, regardless of what you believe. I originally was with you with the brother. I thought it was very... Very good and very possible, but, like, you know, you know me. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around you're, the whole... You're the devil's advocate, which sexual is great. However, thing. I think when you're trying to cover up a murder, you'll do just about anything. With the theory of the brother, I always found there to be something strange about his behavior after it had happened... And when he was doing the interviews with the child psychologist mm -hmm. um, and and the police interviews, 
um, the way that he was speaking about it so nonchalantly, like he was just talking about, you know, Christmas day and how it went. Like it was, there was no emotion. There was no like fear. There was no anger. There was no sadness. Um, he just looked like he didn't have a care in the world. And when he was asked what he thought may have happened to his little sister, he literally said, I think somebody took her very quietly downstairs and killed her. And I'm like, I do remember watching that and it was creepy, but you have to remember when you have autism, like you have to think like your brain processes things differently yeah. than everybody else. And your response is going to not necessarily be the most PC or what everybody else would say and how they would say it. So you, mm-hmm. you have to give him and cut him a break for that. Right. Because he's not going to respond like everybody else would respond necessarily. Right. No, I get that. But he also said that he was in bed and never woke up through this whole thing, through this whole ordeal. Right. And then at one point, he changed his story and said that his dad came in and told him his sister, JonBenet, was missing. And he went back to bed. Yeah. And I I'm do like, remember him. Because that was during the child psychologist visit. He was still a normal functioning child. Like, yeah. with, with, with emotions. Like, I don't understand how he just wasn't concerned at that point. I mean, there was 911 calls. There was... His mother was screaming. His mother was panicking. It, it was... Not to mention it was Christmas morning and there was a million presents downstairs. I don't think he's going to be... If he, they say, oh... Your sister's missing. I don't think he's going to be like, let me go downstairs and get my present. Well, when they told him his sister was dead, he wanted to go on his vacation. That was later in the interview. Doesn't matter. It was something a kid thinks about. They're like, oh, I wonder if we're still going to go now that somebody in our family's missing. No, dead. At that point. Well, dead, yes. It's hard because you can't ever, like, you can't judge how a kid reacts to something. I mean, it, top theories, brother did it. Or somebody they know broke in and did it. Not broken because... If it was someone they knew, I think that person would be caught by now because Patsy and John Ramsey were, like, on a witch hunt for this person and they would have had all of their friends submit DNA. No hits were ever made to the DNA that was found on her body And so, to me, it's either someone at the party that had nothing to do with it and the brother ended up doing it, like, or the brother ended up accidentally killing her, or it's, it's some random ass intruder that they had no idea who it was. I don't think it can be a random intruder because of the whole $118,000. Okay, that was published in the media. That $118,000 bonus was in the newspaper, in Boulder. The community knew about it before this all happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, they were a very well-to-do family. Like, they, Patsy was a socialite. Like, they were involved in their community. People knew of them. And she did this Christmas card. It was like a video Christmas card where she's like, Welcome to our home. And it was like a video of, like how nicely decorated their, their house, house was. And, like, kind of the setup. Yeah. You know, your daughter is in public pageants. People know where you live. It's not difficult to find out. You put out this Christmas video that has your home in it. The outside of the home is shown in this video as well. And it totally could have been a random person. They could have hid out in the house while the parents 
and the brother were at the Christmas party at the friend's house. He would have had time to write the ransom letter. He would have time to do all that and probably hid in their friggin' you basement. You think the brother? No, or no, Or you're no. talking about a stranger. I, thought, I was like, you think the brother could have written no, that no, no, ransom note? No, I think that the intruder could have <clears throat> been in the home, could have been... Could have had time to write this ransom letter without mm-hmm. freaking out, knowing they were at this party. And um, I think he was stalking the house, watching the house for a while. And kind of knew their routine. And he could have been in JonBenet's bedroom, ready to stun gun her when she fell asleep. Because there were stun that gun marks. That was the other reason. Because I was like, it wasn't just a sexual assault. I forgot about right. the stun gun marks. Who knows what people are going to do in a fit of panic. But... Right. It was harder for me to imagine that they would do all of that stuff. And the stun gun also was never found in the home either. Right. That stun gun Which went if, with the intruder. Right. If there was an intruder. Well, here's the thing. That might have been able to trace back to them if it wasn't the families and they did bring it with them. Yep. There are serial numbers in those items. Those can be traced back to factories and warehouses, then the store they were sold to. So that might have been able to specifically pinpoint the murderer which is why it was taken with them versus the other items that were left behind were things that could have pointed to the family. And those were things that were left in the house. Yeah. And if I was Patsy and them, I know you have to get things that are like in your house, but why would you get your own paintbrush to make the garage and like stuff that's yours? I would, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have wasted my time with that. Right. There wasn't a lot of DNA left. And if it was like a stranger, like I think, (laughs) <laughs> the intruder version, there wasn't a lot of their DNA left. There was the fingernails no. and her underwear. And also, and that was it. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure if the fingernail DNA matched the underwear DNA. That, I, I wanted to know that, because but I couldn't find that anywhere. if their theory is that it was DNA that was picked up at the manufacturer, mm-hmm. then the reason that they would have that theory is because it didn't match what was under the nails. So, mm-hmm. but, sh- um... She had wet her pant, like wet her I underwear. Saw, you can tell in the pictures. Yeah. yeah, and so they thought maybe like she had wet her bed. But I think that because the stun gun can make you wet your pants. Correct. I was gonna say if she was tased. Yeah. That is most likely when she wet her pants. Yeah. They even measured the the distance between the marks, and they were identical to a stun gun. So right. we know it was a stun gun. The fact that no stun gun was ever found in the house or around the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't they didn't do a great investigation in the beginning. Um, they could have had a stun gun stowed away somewhere, hidden. And then, I mean, they were allowed to stay in that house afterwards, too. Yeah. Um, after, the, after it was a crime scene, they were yep. able to stay in there. The only way I think we'll get an answer is if it was somebody outside the home and their DNA is in a database. I mean, it should be in the system to where, like, if a new DNA is put in, it's, I think, supposed to be cross-referenced. I'm not 100% sure how that database works. But getting DNA tested and getting the okay for the FBI to run their database, it's more complex than people realize. Um, Specifically, I mean, for people who are in rape cases and all that, your DNA could sit in lockup for years and years and years before it's even tested and processed and run through anything. Like, and and you would never know mm-hmm. until it's finally processed 15 years later and, oh, 
guess what? They had that person's DNA in the system, but your DNA was so backlogged because they don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. It's not like it is on TV. And I think that's also a a misconception with DNA evidence too. I think this case just took on a life of its own because when there's such a big mystery and all of the evidence and the facts and the videos and the photos are all accessible by the general public, people start to speculate, like kind of like we're doing. It's mind-boggling to think that any of those scenarios could have happened, but somebody knows something, mm-hmm. and we may never know the right. truth. Psychologists, investigators, medical examiners, they've all weighed in on this case, and Nobody can say definitively what happened. Yeah. And it's just it's just going to forever remain a mystery unless something comes up. Anyone with information about JonBenet Ramsey's homicide is asked to contact the Boulder Police Department tip line at 303-441-1974 or online at bouldersmostwanted at bouldercolorado.gov. Those who have information but wish to remain anonymous may contact the Northern Colorado Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Tips may also be submitted through the Crime Stoppers website at crimeshurt.com. Those submitting tips through Crime Stoppers that lead to the arrest and filing of charges on a suspect may be eligible for a cash reward from Crime Stoppers. If you guys have any questions or comments about this case, we'd love to hear from you either through our Gmail, thedeadlydivas at gmail.com, or on our Instagram page at thedeadlydivas. Stay sexy. Stay great. And and don't don't end end up up on on the first 48. 48.